0: Welcome back to Lockdown Universe, home of the bizarre, peculiar, and unheard of stories of UFO lore. And today I want to talk about David Adair. If you have not heard about David Adair, you should really do yourself a favor and take a look at his website and look him up on Google uh, and you'll find out a lot of information about him. But I'm going to start this story off and tell you about him and his history and give you uh, a little bit of insight into what he's discovered. He is one of the only people to come out and state that they actually have seen an alien aircraft, touched an alien aircraft, gone inside an alien aircraft and inside its engine space and been able to interact with it. As far as I know, he's the only person that's done done that, and come out and stated he's done that, and probably lived to tell about it. Uh, so, let me give you a little bit of history about him. <clears throat> he's, uh, at age 11, David built his first rocket. This guy was a, a, a mastermind, uh, as far as scientifically goes, physics goes, mathematics goes, just a genius. Um, His first rocket was a cryogenic liquid-fueled engine that was 6 feet tall, 200 pounds in weight, and had enough thrust to push it to an altitude of 52,000 feet at a speed of 1,600 miles an hour with a radio-controlled guidance and parachute recovery. The rockets got bigger and faster from that point on. Today, there are only two types of rocket engines used by the space agencies around the world, liquid fuel and solid propellant. And at age 17, David built a rocket engine that was neither one. It was electromagnetic fusion containment engine, and the first of its kind. It was launched on June twentieth, 1971 from White Sands Missile Proving Grounds, for which he was later awarded the most outstanding in the field of engineering sciences from the United States Air Force. It was during this time that David was actually allowed to go into Area 51 and below Area 51. And this is where the story gets truly interesting. And I'm going to pull up some information from AlienJigsaw.com. And it's a little interview between David and an interviewer where he discusses his interaction with some of the not-too-friendly military uh, individuals. And uh, I think they were a little bit intimidated by David's intelligence. And so we get into the story here a little bit. <clears throat> what they did was they brought David down to the Proving Grounds to shoot the rocket off in a safe manner. But at one point, they asked him to shoot it towards Groom Lake, and he got a little bit concerned because, well, he knew that there was a military base over there. And he said, well, you know, why would you want me to shoot it over that way? And they kind of were gruff and rough with him and said, don't worry about it just get it over there and we'll find we'll we'll go and we'll retrieve it at that location and so these guys started getting really rough with him at this point and he was only 17 at the time so after they shot off his rocket and he he mapped out the location and the trajectory to make sure it was gonna hit the right location they arrived in Nevada and they flew to the landing site and he looked down at these twin 10,000 foot runways and said oh my god there's a huge base down there you know this was an area that he didn't realize had a base at it he thought he was going to a different base this was a new base it wasn't located on any map and it was just before the base on the map so he had no idea he was actually going area 51 but he was going area 51 so after he got out of the plane They put him on this go-kart looking thing, he states. And he said it kind of looked like one of those electric carts that you see at the airports. And they drove down to the landing strip to a series of hangars and headed into the center one. And he said it was really cool the way the place was built because it was built on these humongous screw-like pipes so that when it lowered the level that they were on, it could it could carry an enormous amount of weight um he goes on to state that uh when they got to the hangar um yeah he stated they were on giant worm screws so in my mind i'm thinking like standard screws but just you know humongously large like a 747 right um And he states that it's much more stable than a hydraulic system would have been. So he stated that uh, they went very far down. Um, He feels like they went, um, I think he said 20 20 stories down is what it felt like to him. Um, And he stated that to get into the place, uh, one of the officers got out and put his hand up to a scanner uh, that flashed a light at him. And he thought it took his picture, but he stated in hindsight, he, he would have guessed it would have been a retina scanning device. So he stated this is in 1971. And to give us some perspective on 1971, David stated that there was no laptops in 1971, no modems, no faxes, no VCR, no cell phones. And they didn't. he states they didn't even have handheld calculators at that time. Texas Instruments developed those about five years later so it really gives you an idea and a perspective of what's going on here Uh, this is technology is far 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 more advanced than 1971 obviously I mean how many businesses have even that technology they have thumbprint scanning technology now um, and that's only been in the past 20 years maybe since 2000 so you know very few places are using that Um, so it's kind of interesting uh, so he states that they went into a, a room where he noticed an immediate temperature drop because obviously it was warm upstairs and outside in Nevada. And he states it was very cool down in this room, almost like you could see your breath. And when he entered the room, the lights had no shadow being cast anywhere. So the light was so good that it, it seemed to be emanating from almost everywhere. No shadows. It's was kind of interesting. Bizarre. <clears throat> what kind of lighting system could have done that? Then he stated that someone threw a switch and activated a hoist that uh, pulled up uh, some cables that were attached to a large tarp. So imagine a humongous tarp being pulled up by a hoist and lifted straight up. <clears throat> and what he saw was a giant electromagnetic fusion containment engine, very similar to the one he had made. And again, remember, he's only 17, right? So (laughs) he he was fascinated because this thing was the size of a Greyhound bus, and we all know how big those things are. They're larger than most buses that we use uh, standardly. I mean, they're bigger than even school buses. And uh, he stated that this thing was as big as one of those buses, his containment engine that was similar to this was only the size of a watermelon, right? So his immediate thought was, my God, what size of vehicle would a Greyhound bus engine fit into and propel? So he stated that, you know, he, he could recognize that, it, that the engines were comparable, but he he likened it to looking at a Model A Ford and then looking at a Lamborghini engine or a Viper engine today, and he said you'd recognize that they're both internal combustion engines, but the difference between the two was just unbelievable. So once he saw the engine, some of the uh, the officers in the in the midst of this group started stating hey son we want you to give us a hand with this you want to help your country don't you and of course every kid was a flag-waving American patriot and he wanted to give them a hand and he and so David stated well sure that's no problem but where are the people that built this engine you know he's thinking you know what they should not they be here working on this right now you know somebody maybe with a little bit more training and they stated, well they're on vacation right now and you're off on summer vacation right And they said, well, hey, why don't you give us a hand? And so David asked, well, did they leave any notes uh, on this work, anything I can look at? And they said, well, they took them with them as homework. And they said, you know what homework is, don't you? And kind of being condescending to David, being that he was only 17. And David knew they were kind of being condescending, but he stated, okay, I'll play along with this a-hole. And he was a little bit more graphic than that, but that's what he stated. That was his exact uh, quote. Uh, <clears throat> I try to keep it PG, but you know, I, I took a few letters out there for you. So he agreed to help them and take a look at the, a little bit closer at the engine. And seeing that there were no shadows anywhere, he was still very perplexed and still had many questions. But when he looked at this engine, it resembled a figure eight. And so you can imagine two circles that have the crosshairs that meet in the middle. And what he st- stated was the middle was the eye of the hurricane. And that middle was where the damage occurred. And so he knew, he knew his own engine and he knew exactly what was going on. And he assumed that this engine had the same same kind of problem. And this was a breach in the electromagnetic flux field that acts as the containment wall and harnesses the power of the engine. So he went on to state that that the magnetic that this, these engines are like a magnetic bottle and it's impossible to figure out how another engine like this works unless you have a lot of time to work on it. Um, so, But he does know and he stated that black holes work very much in the, in the same way. They can suck an entire galaxy full of suns into a single point of singularity and obviously a black hole has no problem containing that amount of fusion of energy so the, f- the containment uh, was the problem and seemed to be the point of damage here uh, although the containment of the energy was not the problem it looked like this this uh, engine had had some damage from maybe um, some sort of ballistic missile uh, or some sort of uh, uh, explosive uh, head, warhead missile Uh, He stated that uh, the engine looked really cool to him at 17, obviously, right? Uh, There wasn't a single screw or a rivet or a weld seam anywhere on the entire device from front to end, right? So this thing was developed and created by, by a very highly technologically advanced civilization. It looked like it was grown rather than assembled, he stated. And he thought to himself, man, whoever built this really has some incredible manufacturing techniques. And he thought about over the years. You know, we have the space shuttle missions and and all these other uh, uh, fuel-propelled missions. And he thought, "Geez, well, you know, why are we using these? Why are we, we we have this engine sitting down here? Why aren't we using this kind of a, an engine?" He thought to himself. And this was 1971. So he went ahead and took a little bit closer of a look. And as he got close to the ship, or I shouldn't say the ship, the engine, um, he touched it, and he noticed that it was warm, which didn't make any sense at all because it was so cold in the hangar, you could almost see your breath. He stated that he looked on the floor, he saw no power lines, and he asked himself, how in the, hell, how in the world could this alloy be staying warm, right? It was really hard, so it, it shouldn't be warm. He stated that it was the hardest material he had ever touched it didn't have any give anywhere and that the surface cohesion tension on it felt more like a baby's skin it was supple but hard and warm so kinda very interesting right almost organic in a way And he said well this is weird especially for metal so he continued to look a little bit more deeply into it and as he was crawling up onto the surface uh, he noticed that the Air Force guy's mouths were hanging wide open. And he was like, well, what's going on there? And, you know, Why are they so freaked out? And he looked down to see that his, where he had his hand, it started to oscillate on the engine's uh, surface, blue and white swirls moving through the hull, like wavelengths on an os- oscilloscope, right? And when he pulled his hands off, it stopped. And he thought, wow, this is really cool, right? This is This is really, this thing is interacting with me. This is really neat. And as he continued to climb up to the center area, he noticed that there were vertebrae that had branched off, cascading with fiber-like materials, almost like fiber-optic cables that were filled with a fluid. If you think about that, fiber-optic cables filled with fluid, you know, what would they be doing? What kind of fluid would be going through there, and what would the purpose be? It's very interesting to think about. He said that the uh, cables were like very small tubes of the size of angel hair pasta, And there were millions of these things cascading all over the hull of the engine. And he thought to himself, boy, these patterns look kind of familiar. He said, and then it dawned on him that they look like neural synaptic firing patterns. And there were millions of them going everywhere all over this thing. And so he thought to himself, well, maybe this engine was designed as an exoskeletal brain. And at that point, he stated that he reached out and grabbed some of the fibers and found out that they were really tough, actually, and that there were fluid inside of them. Wherever he touched, no matter what he touched, there would always be a reaction, like a tremor of visual lights. So this thing was really interacting with him on a biological and maybe even psychological scale. And as he walked down, he noticed the damaged area, and he got down into the damaged area. And he said to the Air Force guys, you know, this thing's kind of like a power plant, right? It's more than than a propulsion system. It's a power plant. It's obvious that it came out of a big vehicle craft of some kind. So so where's this thing, right? Where's the craft located? You stated that don't where's this craft, guys? I mean, you know, head head have a crew, you know, what'd you do with those people? It's clearly not American or Soviet technology, right, boys? So this has got to be some kind of extraterrestrial entity. How old is it? Did you guys dig it up? Is it millions of years old? Did you guys shoot it down? And I mean, you know, the 17-year-old kid asked tons of questions. (laughs) And when he started asking those questions, those officers started to get really ticked off. And they told the MPs and military police to pull him down off the engine. And as he was coming down, David himself was really pissed off. And as he noticed, when he put his hands on the engine now instead of that blue and white swirl he started to notice what that it started to become red and orange and flame like and he said oh and, and of course again right those those military boys started having their mouths draped wide open again and they're like oh my god what what's going on so they took their hands off and they noticed that this thing was reading his emotions it was reading his psychological emotions Uh, through the surface of the of the engine so when he got down he asked the military officers if he could go into the damaged area as opposed to on top of the engine and take a look and they said yeah make it brief so when he got in he looked in and saw some incredible looking technology up and down the engine walls on the inside And he couldn't get more than three feet into it before he came up to a wall. And the wall was like an iris or a shutter on a camera lens. You know how they have all those fans that open up and close and contract and they interlocked. And he said, wow, this would make the coolest door back, you know, back home. And when he put his hand on the fan door, it just opened right then and there it made a very slight noise and he entered and he said maybe that's the inspiration for the door design he saw uh, at area 51 he wasn't quite sure Um, but once he got in he stated that uh, everything was very small some parts uh, you know he had to machine with a microscope on his um, on his containment engine once he got into this uh, this area Everything was macro-sized, right, big enough to walk through. He said he remembered uh, that he had to manufacture uh, certain functioning on the engine. Um, it had to be somewhere else. It had, it had to be developed somewhere else just by the way it looked. Uh, there were crystals that were facing each other, and these were fabulous-looking crystals. He say, stated that they were integrated into a plasma duct-type device. And he didn't go into any more uh, detail about that, but that's a very interesting uh, portion of the story. In the, in his engine, he had a hard time trying to trying to lock down some of the cyclotron and blast waves, the propulsion of his device. And then he, when he looked at this engine, it looked like a living machine. It looked both organic and inorganic at the same time. He said it felt like an oxymoron. He said, but... Um, he said he couldn't explain it so when he got in inside he uh, he kinda used his photographic memory and kinda clapped, opened open and closed his eyes like a shutter lens just like the door just to get a look and glimpse for what was going on on the inside um and he felt like there was a presence on the inside like an entity was inside with him and that uh, It knew he was there. That's what he felt like. He he felt like it knew it was there. Or that he was there. And as he exited, uh, he put his hand back onto the the engine and it swirled uh, white and blue because he had calmed down and it was more tranquil of a pattern and left and he stated that that's when he noticed that it was not just heat sensitive but it was reacting to his mental waves he felt that it was symbiotic and that the engine would lock on to how he felt Um, and he stated that uh, he felt it would allow the engine to interface with him and meaning that it was aware obviously this thing was you know just tons of years more advanced than anything that we have uh, but they escorted him out, um, and that that ends the interview. I don't know as if he worked on it any more than that. Uh, I did want to get a little bit more uh, in depth, and I'll, I might do a part two to this. See if I can rumble up some more information about uh, what happened after this story. But I wanted to get this information out because I thought I thought it was the most interesting part of the story to describe the engine just the engine not even the ship just the engine and how it interfaced with him and interacted with him and how it had the angel hair pasta type fiber optics dripping all over it and how um, how it was very similar to his engine but just on a macro scale and had a few more pieces of the puzzle uh, some of the crystals and things like that it's kind of interesting if you watch Stargate, you know they have crystals in their ship and the crystals power some of the ship and you know you have to wonder if they didn't you know some of the writers just didn't happen to read David's story and just kind of put it in there but crystals seem to have some sort of power uh, to them. I mean you know if you go back through history and you, you, you read some of the, the mystics and witches and of you know, the occult, uh, crystals seem to have some sort of power to them. What kind of power that is? You know, we're not 100 percent sure, but they seem to have some sort of power to them that um, are able to power a massive ship apparently as well, or at least aid in doing so. So, what are your thoughts? What do you feel? Do you feel this is this a true story? Do you feel that David just made this all up? If you watch his interviews, you can you see. To me, it seems as though he's telling the truth it's up to you to decide what you feel is the truth but until next time take care of yourself interact with us uh on lockdown universe at facebook uh and on instagram uh we're going to start up a youtube channel as well uh you can email us at lockdownuniverse.com uh if you'd like to uh tell a story maybe we can do you know uh, uh an interview type story where you tell uh your interactions with uh, the UFO universe. Until next time, take care, uh, stay, stay, stay safe, and stay healthy. Bye-bye.